0: This is the Shades and Layers Podcast. Welcome to Episode 7. I'm Kutluanos Kosana Richie, your host, and today, my guest is South African entrepreneur Akosua Koranteng, founder of the Cape Town-based natural hair and skincare brand, Anim Naturals. Akosua was born in Ghana and spent a large chunk of her childhood in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa. She also tells me that this is where you will find the largest Ghanaian community in the country. She was raised by an entrepreneurial mom and an academic father and once you hear her story it will be very clear to you why this foundation is so important to who she is today and how it has contributed to her success as an entrepreneur so far i caught up with akosua soon after the opening of the very first storefront for anim naturals which is at the beauty box in cape town's waterfront this was also soon after the clicks natural hair debacle and we took some time to discuss and reflect on what happened. You can also get the background to the story in the show notes. Our conversation starts with why it is so timely that the brand has its own storefront and how Aquasua feels about the way things are going at her new space.
1: And it's the ideal kind of retail space for us because we don't really want to invest in retail space at this point. Um, and so it's... Um, it's nice because um, we don't have to spend too much capital getting yeah. up a space, et cetera, but we can still have a storefront where customers mm-hmm. can come and engage with the brand. And mm-hmm. I
0: think that's very ideal. Are there any other retailers mm-hmm. through which you are selling? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we sell. Our general strategy is to sell
1: through third-party retail. Um, so we're in Clicks, um, Wellness Warehouse as well, Um and then, kind of the pattern the upcoming distribution channels that we hope to be in would be probably pick and pay after that um and then we yeah look into this game too. but for now, it's clicks and wellness warehouse.
0: What do you make of uh, the entire debacle with clicks?
1: Yeah, I must say I think for me, um the sad thing was that I wasn't even really like. <laughs> I wasn't really phased. I, I had friends like send me the, the, um, the pictures and I was just kind of, I actually didn't even pick up on what was wrong I- immediately. Cause I, I, I wasn't looking at it properly. And then I realized, Oh wow. They like saying that black woman's hair is dry and damaged. And then I was just kind of like, well, I'm not surprised like that they would do this. Um, and so, so that's sad. that. You know, we, we kind of come to expect this kind of thing still, yeah. and that's the reason why I. That's one of the reasons, um, and one of our missions is to normalize in inverted commas, natural hair, yeah. um, because and it's it's because natural hair is not the default, and it's because natural hair is not normalized in inverted commas that yeah. um, that this kind of thing happens, um, and so you see the privilege. Um, that whole in, in that whole debacle so uh, yeah, what i am yeah. surprised by is just that um clicks is a is very high highly invested in the natural hair space yeah, um, was, uh, more than any other reader. right yeah they really are um, and um i think i'm surprised that they let um they let this kind of thing happen and sl- slip but I'm also not surprised in the sense of it's a big corporation. A lot of departments don't speak to each other. Um, And so something like Mm. this can happen. And especially when you privilege certain suppliers over others, I think that this can happen easily. The CEO, he basically said, well, it got through because um, Tresla is a big supplier and they supplied these, you know, these images and we posted it up on our website. So so yeah, I think oh, it's a yeah. few lessons in there is I think number one, people want authenticity, people are holding brands. Sure. Um and and the industry and um and retailers and everything accountable. Things are not things are no longer acceptable. Um, mm, things of the past mm-hmm. are no longer acceptable. People mm-hmm. are fed up and tired of um being marginalized. And I think it's it's I'm still catching my breath with it because I think I'd, I don't think I've ever expected something this huge to happen. I mean, now the the stores are shut down yeah, and,
0: yeah.
1: and pick and pay pulled it off of their shelves. So I think it's just me. It's like, wow. Okay. I didn't realize we had reached that moment in the natural hair movement where yeah. I think the consumer base really is hungry for change and so it's it's good thing to see and i think i want to um position myself and reflect on it and come up and almost um yeah just Mm. position ourselves as a business and as a company to move forward with with that um Mm. given where the the natural hair um community is at Um, i think Previously, it's felt like we are pushing this narrative of natural hair and it's beautiful and it's like a struggle. Like it was like a struggle to communicate this and to get people to adopt natural hair. And I think now it's like, okay, cool, it's been adopted. Where do we move from here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your journey so far. What what has brought you here? Mm.
1: Yeah. So I guess it's been an interesting journey. So essentially, I guess it starts actually in 2012 when I decided to stop um, relaxing um, my hair, so c- stop chemically straightening it. Um, and it happened because I came to that decision because I had done one of the many hairstyles as black women do. Um, I think it was a weave or something, mm-hmm. and I had taken it out um, and. A whole patch of my hair had just kind of fallen out, and so I was looking for solutions to it mm-hmm. um, and researching online, etc, and talking to my sister, talking to my mum, talking to my sister-in-law about different options. and mm-hmm. through that process, I came across kind of what we call the natural hair movement, which was basically millions of women on online, um, particularly on YouTube educating each other on how to take care of their natural hair because for a lot of women of color um they have not you know kind of had experience taking care of their natural hair as it grows out of their head yeah um it's kind of a lost um, art for a while yeah during their lives because you know if, if they're like me your hair was relaxed when you were five years old and continued to be relaxed ever since then um and so And so I had to almost like learn how to take care of myself. And I think that process of learning was also a process of then unlearning European beauty standards and unlearning um, a lot of false messaging and and really destructive messaging that I think gets told to women of color that, you know, our hair is Mm. unprofessional or our hair doesn't look good, it doesn't... Um, make us look beautiful etc and we need to do other things to it to be beautiful mm. and it really was a real process because I remember the first time when I did what you call the big chop where you cut off your relaxed and processed hair so that the natural hair can grow I remember looking in the mirror and genuinely thinking "I like this person is ugly I don't like what this looks like yeah. and it's like that's your that's you that's your hair you know Yep. um and i so i think it just goes to show how destructive um you know the um, messages here yeah, they're very the strong message, yeah was how destructive that can be to your sense of self worth and self um, identity mm. so essentially so so that was 2012 and then from there i i when i get like kind of obsessed with things i'm like all into it and i research so i've just been researching a lot of like shea butter um other carrier oils um and then I would experiment so I would you know get my own shea butter I'd buy every product on the shelf and try everything so I was I was your typical natural product junkie and also um you know trying right. all sorts of natural remedies um and so I I came to be known like amongst friends as the person who knew like about natural hair and my, I think people you know, viewed me as like, you know, that I'd gotten it down type of thing. And so in 2015, um, I was, I registered for a master's. So I went back, I was working for two years um, prior to that. And I went back Mm -hmm. to university to do a master's in African studies Mm -hmm. and, um, and I had to pay for that master's myself. Um, and it was the first time in many years that, um, you know, I hadn't, I didn't have an income or, Mm. I uh, kind of ha- I had less money than I usually do, and so at the end of that year, I had we had the opportunity through my scholarship program to go to Ghana um, for a kind of exploratory visit. And um, during that trip, I was like, you know, when I go back to South Africa, I need to start a business or something because I, I'm really tired of being
0: broke. Like, what were you um, researching when you went to life. Ghana?
1: Yeah, and so so I. The, the business could have been many things because I think right. um, through my scholarship program, which is the Alan Gray um, Fellowship Program, which basically is a program that identifies young aspiring entrepreneurs out of high school and first year university. Mm. So you don't really have to have started a business, but you you display attributes of being quite entrepreneurial. And so we'd, we'd always been encouraged to ideate and explore different business ideas. So I'd already, I'd already like, you know, come up with different business ideas. None of them had come and materialized. Um, but um, so by the p- time I got to this point of, okay, let me just start a business to just earn some extra money so I can get through this master's program. Mm. I was like, okay, mm. well, you know, what is it that people like? And I was like, you know, I'd had a, I'd had an idea to do like a fabric business, African fabrics. And then, but then the logistics of it was just going to be too much. And then I was like, okay, well, share butter everybody keeps asking me for share butter
0: yeah
1: everybody keeps asking me for black soap like let me just you know buy some from the market and you know take it back with me so I literally did that I went to the market (laughs) like the very next day um I negotiated with the women who are from the north so it's these women from the north who bring the share butter from the cooperatives to the marketplace right I bought like I think it was like 10 kgs of butter and like wow. 5 kgs of black soap, which I just, you know, transported in my suitcase and um, brought it back to South Africa. And literally I was like, okay, cool. Well, when I got back to South Africa, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I, I need to like start a brand. And one of the things that I know is that when I put something out, then I have to do it. So I was like, okay, I'll start a Facebook page. Then I have to do this. So I literally <laughs> created a Facebook page. I created a logo, which is very simple um, in PowerPoint, really. And I applied a lot of the principles that I had learned previously um, in what we call like, you know, IVC, you know, ideate, validate, create, mm-hmm. like create mm-hmm. a prototype, just put something out there. Um, and so, yeah, created that. And then I had an event. I invited um uh i think it was 20 of my good friends to our apartment and i was like yeah i'm gonna launch the, the brand and show you um show yeah. you what products and at that point i just when i got back i just started experimenting with different um blends and stuff so okay i had so like you were blending butter so your... that had like lavender oil and it was just terrible like you know i it was just me and my friends making product in in our house, and then I finally got to like some final kind of recipes and in inverted commas. And yeah, <laughs> we had the launch event in my house. It was about twenty of my friends, and I just spoke to them and I was like, "This is," and explained the different properties of shea butter and black soap. And from there, the brand was born. So we actually originally weren't called any naturals; we were called Akan Organics. Mm -hmm. Um, and Akan is the name of um, the people group in in Ghana it's one of the people groups and anyway I later came to learn that you should probably not name your brand after a people group or any kind of common name sure otherwise you can't really have it trademarked and you'll just run into issues yeah Um, and then there was just trouble with using the word organic because is it certified organic or not etc
0: right Uh, so you had to change to naturals
1: Yes, but that was that was much later, so mm. we, we traded for about two years before we changed the name.
0: In 2016, Akusuo went on to secure seed funding for her business through her scholarship program from Alan Gray. As part of that process, she had to go through a four-month boot camp where the Anim Naturals idea was tested and validated. And it turned out that all of this was happening at the right moment in the evolution of the brand, and she also caught the right wave in the natural hair movement in South Africa and Africa in general. She attended several natural hair gatherings at the time and got to introduce her brand to the right audience. As you will hear now, it was an intense period and the very push she needed to take the Anim Naturals brand to the next level.
1: Our brand was born at a time when I think the natural hair movement was, was just starting to grow and gain it was burgeoning at that point, yeah, but starting yeah. to grow in South Africa and um, people were looking, more and more people were looking for information. Mm. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so then in September of that year, um, I, I applied for that seed fin- financing and we got the seed funding and we also got to um, got to be in an accelerator program where for three months I had to spend time strictly on the business, um, just kind of going all out, you know, um, Pushing business development, pushing product development, pushing mm-hmm. sales, etc. Um, yeah. And I think that was the that was when things kind of became, I think, more serious. I think mean, previously it was kind of like, oh, this is like my side thing that I do on the side, from for, you know, to just have a little bit of extra money for my masters. And now it was like, okay, could this be an <laughs> it could actual could be a real business, um, serious but, business? You but know.
0: But now, do, how many what products do you have in your range? and um, mm. you know what uh, yeah who are your customers
1: right now we have um, we have 14 SKUs um, all our most of our products are what we call they we they call they're like basically pure the pure ingredients so we mm. like to sell the active ingredient that's kind of our belief so think um, the ordinary Um so We love to sell, you know, a pure share butter instead of having a water-based product with 2% share butter in it. So, so yeah, we have a lot of products like that. So we've got a share butter um, body and um, hair care product. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we've got black soap products, so African black soap. An amazing um kind of almost medicated soap that really helps with all kinds of skin ailments mm-hmm. and we have that in a kind of shampoo or hair clarifying wash form and we have that in the face a foaming face wash form um and then we have a toner um we have then travel sizes of each product and right. we have conditioners two conditioners um for, to To kind of fill fill up the range um, for mm. the hair, so you can do up, you can almost use our products in a regimen, um, right, mm. from start to finish, right. which is great. Yeah, um, and so yeah, it's it's all our products are kind of aligned with the mission of empowering women with the tools and the products to take care of their natural hair. Yeah, so we try as much as we can to have the full range. Yeah.
0: And uh, talk to me about your customers and the kind of uh, Mm. feedback that they give you and, you know, how they influence the development of your business.
1: Yeah, so I think um, it's a good question. I think we started the business um, very much doing markets, which is where you get to have a direct interface with the customer. And so we got almost, it's almost like live feedback, you know. Mm. Um, and so our customers are predominantly, we started out in Cape Town. And so funny enough, our customers um, were predominantly kind of the natural hair community in Cape Town. Mm. And um, and then that grew to the rest of the country, obviously. So it's predominantly women of color. And we're looking at between the ages of 25 and like 40 who are very interested and conscientious buyers, um, and who want um, high quality ingredients and high quality product to take care of their hair. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's our market. And but then we also are in the kind of general wellness market, which is I would say more. It does um, more white uh, suburban women who are very interested in in all kinds of natural um, ingredients and natural products and wellness in general our distribution through wellness warehouse um, kind of services that market so wellness yeah. warehouse and faithful to nature is what kind of services that market and um, i think our body care products um, are more popular in that space
0: yeah so that must um, be quite interesting when you do creative and, uh, as, you know, your branding and promotion.
1: Yeah. So I think, and I think it's always been a thing that we've had to kind of think about very carefully because we've seen brands, for example, in the U S shame moisture yep. started out predominantly wanting to service women of color and, um, develop everything around them. And then when they wanted to broaden their market, they were seen as, you know, kind of abandoning that market or abandoning that demographic. Mm. Um, and I'd say we, we are the same. We want, we, we are women of color. Um, I'm a woman of color. like The people I work with are, and this, this brand was created to service, um, to, to, um, serve them. Mm. Um serve a very underserved demographic. Um and but I think the product can be used by anyone. It's just that if you think about a business, you've got limited resources mm-hmm. for marketing mm. and everything. So you say, okay, who's got, who's our, our beachhead market? Mm. So that's what I always tell people. Our beachhead market, our main people that we we do product development around are women of colour. So so that's that's really it, you know.
0: Mm so what are you thinking you know going forward uh, you're expanding right now uh, but you mm-hmm. know what's and you've got um, you know a footprint both in uh, beauty and now in wellness so mm-hmm. what do you think uh, growth looks like for you
1: yeah i think this is it's a good question because it speaks about business models and i think when i started off and i was kind of you know doing markets more direct sales i didn't think that um doing kind of retail was going to be so soon. And I didn't, I didn't really think that that was viable. Mm. <clears throat> and I think now um our strategy is pretty much predominantly retail, I'd say about 90% retail, because we want to increase access to mm. the product. Mm. Yeah. We want to increase access to the products. I think people ask, okay, are you going to pull your products from clicks? I think that decision will be based on what our customer base wants. Um, if our customer base shops at Clicks, then the product needs to be available at Clicks. If our customer base shops at Shoprite, then I'm gonna, you know, try and get to Shoprite. You know. Yeah. Um, I think people don't understand the, the importance of distribution, the importance of being on shelf, because I think that is what contributes to representation. We want to be in more retailers. We want to but be where in all you the feeling, retail spaces that our customer base shops at. The, where mm-hmm.
0: are you getting the resistance from in terms of being available in a broader set of uh, uh, retail shelves? Um, is it because you're seen as a luxury brand? Um, I mean, what's uh, uh, is no, the resistance? No, I don't think
1: there's um, – I think you do have to be strategic in the beginning um, because – Retail is very expensive, and Mm. um, the cash um, flow—it's—it's got very—it's very taxing on your cash flow because retailers will will pay you um, sixty to ninety days. Um, So I can't say I'm going to be in clicks and I'm going to then also be in pick and pay. I have to, well, starting out, Mm. I have to choose. So I think I don't think there's been really resistance. I think it's just been being strategic. Mm. I think also Mm. the product is um in inverted commas um seen as premium because of maybe the price point um right. but we want to change that because we we want women to, of color to understand that that is that is the level of product that they deserve that their mm. hair deserves that their skin deserves you know mm-hmm. just like you invest in a weave you need to invest in a hair product that costs that much you know and we 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 pride ourselves in providing value. We're not overpricing the product in any way. You know what I mean? So right. um, that is the cost to make, I mean, I'm not saying it's the exact cost, but <clears throat> it's proportionate to the cost to make that product. So, um, I, and I do think that the attitude is changing because now you're seeing more premium products um, showing up on shelves, uh, showing up in kind of your, your very commercial
0: um, mainstream of,
1: yeah. of these stores. Um, mm. And so as, as the, the green revolution grows, as the natural revolution grows, mm-hmm. um, people, you, you will see more shelf space being availed for products like ours. So pick mm-hmm. and pay is already on it. I wouldn't, if you had asked me three years ago, oh, would you want to be in pick and pay? I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been my automatic choice because people aren't, weren't going to purchase natural hair products at pick and pay. But now Pick&Pay is invested in, in, in green products and in the green revolution in general. And that is the space that you want to be in. I think it's just um, being strategic because you you do have limited resources as a business. Um, yeah. But I think right now there is there is much more openness. Um, and you'll I think you'll see after the clicks um, incident that there will be much more openness to local, natural, South African homemade brands. Yeah.
0: This is the Shades and Layers podcast with Kudwanos Kusana Ritchie. We are now getting into the final part of our chat with Akosuwa Koranteng from Anim Naturals. If you're thinking of starting your skincare business or fashion brand or any retail business for that matter, there are many gems and takeaways from her reflections in this next part. And that's what's coming up next. So Anim Naturals is on the up and up, but I'm sure it's not an easy journey. Are there any challenges that uh, stand out in your mind to say, you know, oh my goodness, I didn't know how we would get over this part uh, of uh, a new business, uh, growing business? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's been many different things. I would say the main ones are, I think for me, the main surprises has been (laughs) like managing cash flow. I think Mm. um, managing cash flow and getting the right resources for your business, human um, human resources, so talent. Um, yeah. So just on yeah. the first part, I think when you, as a young person, you think, oh, I'm going to retail, I'm going to be in all these stores, I'm going to make all this money. And then you're like, you go into it and it's not as, you know, the cash isn't as, as, as there as you think it's going to be. Um, because, You know, you have to have cash tied up in stock. You have to always have stock ready to to be sold. Um, Your cash can be tied up with the the retailer themselves waiting 60 days to pay you, and then you still have to be producing more product. Um, There's all these um, rebates and um, allowances that retailers take off, and, you know, you have to make sure that your product was even priced right to begin with. And so I think the challenges of retail... uh, um, were very new to me and are, are challenging, um, mm. but worth the challenge, nothing insurmountable, but um very challenging. Um, and then I think um talent and human resources, I think it's very difficult as a startup to find the right talent. I, I don't know if it's a South African thing or no. it's a worldwide <laughs> phenomena, but I think it's um,
0: universal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I think people don't really want to leave, people want security and people to to attract really good talent as a startup i mean you need to find someone who's number one probably privileged because they're privileged enough to not need as high of an income as they would get in in the marketplace Mm. um and you also need someone who's genuinely just very passionate about your brand and if you are the one who created the brand I mean, it's you'd be hard pressed to find someone who's as passionate about your brand as as you are, yeah, and passionate enough to to leave their career and come and join you. But I've I've been lucky to to meet those people and to work with people like that. Um, but it is very difficult to find, and so, um, I think, I think you you have to be realistic about what kind of resources will be available to you in the early days. Um, I think I expected to 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 get really good talent and amazing you know consultants like um really highly qualified mm, people and it's been mm. very tough to get that and i'm part of you know communities and networks of this kind of people and i haven't managed to track not for the long term right that kind of talent yeah. okay so it's tough yeah, yeah. As as an entrepreneur, you just have to reckon with those things, and you have to keep your chin up and um, push through. And because I think the entrepreneurs that make it, it's not necessarily that oh the, the the idea was particularly amazing. There are amazing ideas out there, but it's not that. It's literally just the resilience of that entrepreneur.
0: Would you yeah. describe yourself as a resilient person?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think I. I think I don't take no for an answer mm-hmm. um, and I don't take no lightly. And I'm quite, can be quite hard headed when I am very into something. And I think that's what's helped me in continuing to run this company. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a very particular vision of what I want to see in the world and a company and being an entrepreneur helps me have a lot of agency in that vision. And so, mm-hmm. Mm. so, yeah, I think I am quite resilient.
0: How do you navigate your way through all these difficulties that you face?
1: Mm. No, that's a very good question, because I think that's also something I've I've been surprised by, is how much stress this um, life can be. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think I manage it through having really good self-care and wellness practices. At the end of the day, I'm a wellness enthusiast, so... Um, I think, holistically, good nutrition, good Mm. exercise, good sleep, um, having my own spiritual practice or my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's what keeps me sane. Something I feel is imperative is that I need to be taken care of and I need to to be well or the business won't be well. And I think it's because a lot of things do depend on me. So I, I make sure to take care of myself. Um, And so, yeah, I do a lot of yoga, I'm I'm, I'm vegan, et cetera, et cetera. I meditate a lot, I sleep a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. very well balanced. Um, Yoga, I I have seen (laughs) on your social media that uh, you're quite active uh, in that space. Uh, Are you an instructor perhaps or...?
1: I am, yeah. So I actually again when I get enthusiastic about something I have to
0: go all the way. <laughs> go all in. I
1: couldn't just be a yoga student. I had to go and do my yoga teacher training. Um but I think that's also an extension of this journey to to unlearning and to becoming. And I it, I think it really is inextricably tied to the natural hair journey that I've taken. And so this is just another manifestation. So yeah, I I I did my yoga teacher training, um, and I do teach occasionally, but I predominantly predominantly the yoga practice is just for myself and for for sure. managing my own inner world and mm, my own mm. um, wellness. Um, and and for me, the teaching is one of the ways I can almost democratize access to it mm. and access to this wellness mm-hmm. practice because I do believe it is quite transformative and quite amazing and very healing. Um, and that there isn't enough um access to it. Um, if you look at the, again, if you look at the yoga world, it's predominantly white, Western, mm. etc. Mm. Um, and you don't we don't have enough people of color getting to more one act, participate in these practices that are actually very, very powerful. And it it feeds into how I run my business, just very holistic, and um, really, really thinking about the everything as a whole and not just this is a business engine and like say you know sales and profits Mm, it's you know it's really a whole there's more to it yeah yeah so Mm.
0: two things that stand out about you to me at least from speaking to you right now a strong sense Mm. of identity and also you know this uh get your hands dirty and get it done that to me must come from somewhere and perhaps it has to do with the way you grew up. So if you can just talk a little bit about your family, uh, where you mm. come from and, you know, who has raised you to be the woman that you are. Mm.
1: Well, yeah, I think, um, I guess might be that you know that immigrant spirit so my parents i'm i'm originally from ghana i was born in ghana mm-hmm. um and we moved here when i was five and my dad was here before that in the 80s in the trans sky um and so and when they came my dad had a formal job you know lecturing at a at like a university but um they still ran a business on the side and that was really where a lot of the money to 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 find right. our lives came from. And so I think I grew up seeing that and seeing my, my parents, you know, kind of all hands on deck. And mm, I mm. think that I, that was just normal in, in my life. You know, my dad would leave work and then go to the hair salon and go help my mom. Mm-hmm. And then they would close the salon together and they'd come home. And some days we would maybe have to be washing the salon towels or um, I don't know, mixing some concoction for <laughs> the salon or something right so yeah so i think that i i grew up with that kind of spirit and i think if you go to ghana it's a very entrepreneur people are very entrepreneurial because i think um i don't know if it's an innate thing but i i think it's more to do with the fact that there isn't a formal a, a large formal economy where mm. you can just get a job and live a nice life you have to create things for yourself and mm. um, so i think i've always kind of had that spirit
0: in me what about your siblings? How many do you have? Uh, what do they do?
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I have two siblings, and my old oldest brother, who's nine years older than me, he's a chartered accountant. Mm-hmm. And he works for African Development Bank, and my sister is a is a academic. Um, she just finished her PhD, and she's lecturing now. So, mm. um, so I guess yeah, maybe it is particularly me <laughs> because <laughs> some of them have become entrepreneurs um but yeah I think I've always been a kind of go like let's do it and I I also like I always say like I'm unemployable like (laughs) I don't know how to like be you know somewhere if I'm nine to five my first job out of university um and I didn't realize this at the time that it was such a privilege we didn't have to be in an office Um, I was doing field work as a researcher my time was really flexible. it was kind of self-managed. It was kind of a get your work done. And I, I still have that culture in my own business. You know, mm. if anyone has ever worked with me. I'm like, I don't care where you do your work from as long as you do it, as mm. long as you get it done. Mm. Um, I don't I don't really care to see you doing it. You know, I think there's this culture in work of work of like, oh, I need to look busy. Like I <laughs> I don't have that. Um I'm more like, just get it done and
0: I'll be happy. Great. Well, I have to leave it here. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. been really, really wonderful speaking to you and uh, learning more about your brand. Um, So people can find you at Clicks at uh, Mm -hmm. the uh, beauty box, at uh, the Sheds, in the waterfront. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. which other stores and also give us your website Um, um, so that mm -hmm. they can buy a new web shop.
1: Yeah, so you can also find us at Wellness Warehouse Stores. You can also find us on our own website. Please follow us on our social media. So on Instagram, at Aneem Naturals, all one word. And on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash at Aneem Naturals. That would be great.
0: Before I let you go, I have to ask you the question I ask Mm. all my guests. What makes you feel beautiful?
1: Oh, that's a lovely question. I think what makes me feel beautiful is um feeling comfortable in my own skin i think that really does make me feel beautiful um and that's i think why i love natural products is because it just makes you feel comfortable in the skin that you have
0: perfect thank you so very much for your time and for sharing your story you, i funnel. wish you all the best yes. and uh, hopefully we catch up again some other time Great. Thanks. Lovely talking to you. You can visit the Anim Naturals website on www.animnaturals.co.za to order your sheer butter and African black soap, skin and hair care products. While you're online doing that, please do subscribe to Shades and Layers and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also drop me a note on hello at shadesandlayers.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time... Please do take good care.